Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Judson Tomlin about his thoughts on global citizenship. Judson is a biology teacher at the United World College in Singapore. He is originally from Alabama and has lived abroad in countries like Egypt and China. He shares how important it is for people to ground themselves in their cultural identity through reflection and listening to others. He encourages everyone to become global citizens who are interested in engaging people across differences. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Scott. My name is Judson. I am a biology teacher, high school biology teacher based in Singapore right now. Hi, Judson. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. And, you know, we're fellow teachers and, you know, we recently connected over in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, we're part of the same cohort. And it's just, um, it's just great to see your face um, and to hear your voice because this is a podcast, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really curious to hear about your teacher journey. Uh, I think every teacher has uh, their own unique set of circumstances and like, you know, I don't know, desires about like why they joined such a difficult profession. Uh, and in your case, you've had a very international teaching, you know, journey. And so I'm, I'm very curious to hear kind of what led you from one point to the next. And, you know, in general, what kind of drives you forward as, as a teacher? Like, I mean, what are some of the, the values that you really um, aspire to instill within your students? And what just kind of gets you up in the morning, right? Besides the normal cup of coffee, right? So, um, so yeah, th this, this initial question is pretty broad, um, but it's to kind of lay the, the, set up our conversation for, um, like global citizenship, but you know, uh, if you can kind of take us um, on an, on this journey of yours uh, and like kind of share a few milestones of your professional background uh, in regards to like yeah your teaching career. Sure, that's a that's a big ask. I think for for an opening question, a lot to cover there. Um, yeah, I came to teaching late. I would say relative to most of my colleagues, definitely, and most teachers that I know who tended to see it as a calling early. Um, it was probably a third career for me. Um, my undergraduate degree was in public health. And so I worked in public health for, for a long time. I started working in restaurants when I was quite young, when I was 15. And so I managed restaurants as well through my 20s. Um, and I did sales and marketing uh, as well in my, in my 20s. So I'd done uh, a number of different jobs before I came to teaching. Um, and in some ways, I, I feel like that has made me uh, a better teacher and a better educator. Um, I feel like when I started, especially, I had a better sense for what is different about the, the quote unquote real world um, and, and that was really helpful in, in my work with um, the students that I teach in high school, especially, who have just been in, in an academic environment. Um, and I felt like my experiences outside translated well in helping them understand what is the importance of what we're doing in the classroom, not just in terms of the content that we're learning, but 
the skills that we're developing as individuals, the values that we're learning about ourselves, and how all of this informs who we're going to become when we step out of the academic world. Because, you know, for most of our students, that's where they're going to end up. They're not going to continue down a path uh, throughout their whole career in academia. So I feel like coming from outside of education helped me with that. Um, as you referenced, I have only taught internationally. So I started teaching in Egypt. Um, I was sort of on an extended journey of discovery, I guess you could say. I had quit my job and I had moved to South America and and had lived there for a year. And through a sort of serendipitous uh, series of events, I ended up in Egypt where my uncle had started teaching and he invited me to come for a visit um, because he knew I was traveling. And while I was there, he asked me if I wanted to come and help out at the school. So initially I was just coaching basketball and helping out with learning support. Um, so I was helping middle school students who were struggling in class. And during that process, I got to view a lot of different teachers uh, sort of in action. And it was my first time back in a middle school class since I left. And it made a, it made a really big impact on me. And initially when I decided to take the sort of leap into teaching, it was um, it was sort of opportunistic. We had a teacher who left kind of mid-year and they needed somebody to step up and fill in temporarily. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to do it. And, and it ended up being sort of uh, my foot in the door for, for getting in the classroom for the first time. And ultimately that led to me going to pursue uh, my postgraduate certificate in education, which is like the British teaching qualification. Um, and then after that, I've had a series of jobs uh, in Egypt, in Beijing, China, and now in Singapore, um, teaching middle school science and now predominantly high school science and, and high school biology. Thank you so much. Uh, you, you handled that question really, really well. I mean, it's very broad, but yeah. very succinctly kind of put a lot of those experiences um, in a very clear linear way, but I'm sure that it was very much not linear as you were making those decisions, right? To go from like one job to the next different industry and then to one country to the next, you were traveling, right? No, I mean, yeah, it, it's always in retrospect that the, the narrative emerges, right? At the time, um, there's a lot of anxiety about what you're going to do, who you're going to become, like what what is what is my purpose here? And you know, what direction do I want to move with my life? So mm -hmm. yeah, I've just ironed all those things out of the story. But definitely, and I think this is true for a lot of people in their 20s, but and into their 30s as well. We're constantly trying to figure out who we are um, and who we want to be going forward. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely right. There were, uh, it was not a smooth and linear journey and there were difficult choices and, um, and questions that I had about whether I was making the right decisions at certain points. Mm. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, when we, when I look back, yeah, I feel like it does sort of have this cohesive narrative of the things that, that, that happened. And I can sort of see the reasons maybe now a little bit clearer, but yeah, in the moment, um, there were some there were some challenges. Um, I think one of the things that you and I had spoken about as well was this shift from me 
seen my role in teaching and as an educator as being a job that provided an income. And for me at the time, it was about living abroad, being able to travel. That was my initial connection to teaching was, wow, this is a career that can give me an opportunity to live somewhere and to travel. Um, and it shifted at a certain point to, wow, this is a career that actually brings me a lot of fulfillment and that I, I find challenging and rewarding in all the best possible ways. And that's where it sort of shifted from being a job to being a career, to being a calling. Um, and, you know, I would say that transition happened probably after I moved to Beijing. So I think in my early years teaching in Egypt, it was it was more about, you know, figuring things out and really enjoying the the experience. And in Beijing, it was really about embracing the the challenge of teaching as 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 a profession, teaching as an art, um, as much as a as a job. And and do you think that um, you know that that transition or that change of mindset was just a result of um, number of years teaching, uh, the exposure of it, or is, would you say that there was like a pivotal moment, um, experience with a student or with a colleague? that really made it clear that like, no, you were on a different path or that you were committed to this path? I, yeah, I, I don't know if there was a specific moment per se or a specific student that I can remember where that switch happened. I think it was more about reflection and seeing the fact that I enjoyed putting time into figuring out how to become a better teacher it wasn't it wasn't something that you know when i left in the afternoon i was just able to kind of put things away and just come back the next day and and pick up where i left off it was something i found myself thinking about it was something i found myself having conversations about um, with other people in terms of how how i approached teaching and learning and how i engaged with, with the students and I think it was that awareness, that rising awareness that, wow, you know, I'm enjoying spending time thinking about these things. I'm looking for opportunities to become better at this, that it made me sense that this was something that was more than just a job. And, and to your point, I think there was also the growing awareness that the impact that I was having on the students was something that was that was really rewarding and, and seeing that really did inspire me in that sort of positive feedback cycle to to like continue to push to become better at what I did and to become more impactful with the time that I had. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think as a teacher, um, whether we're aware of it or not, and in your case, you're very much aware of it, but we we impact students in both seen and unseen ways, right? Um, maybe there's a certain comment that we make that that just alters the trajectory of of students life but we have no idea until a decade later let's just say they come back and say hey you know that was that was really important what you said and it led to this and this or and, and I think um you know teachers really have to grapple with the the difficult reality of like kind of um teaching skills or like trying to instill values for the future while being firmly grounded in the moment. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's like this long-term 
project that we're constantly, you know, trying to convey like content. We're trying to inspire and encourage support. Um, but we also know that, you know, really deep learning doesn't happen overnight per se, right? It's not the cramming for the test mentality where, you know, that A suddenly means that they're going to have a happy and fulfilled life, right? Um, as much as we would like that to, to be the case, right? Life is just so much more complex. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, that's, that's one of the, I think that's one of the tough parts for a lot of teachers. I think we're, as a, as a whole, we tend to be more sensitive, maybe, to, to the needs of others. Um, and I, I see this a lot, just generally with, with my colleagues, uh, particularly around student feedback and, and um, teachers are really, really sensitive. They want their students to enjoy the experience. They want their, their students to have, um, to have a, a rich and enjoyable learning, learning experience. And to your point, there's a balance between what we're trying to do in terms of their long-term education and progression and what we're doing like right now in the moment. Um, there's an interesting, there was an interesting study. It wasn't an educational study actually, but they did it in an educational setting where they looked at, um, they looked at student feedback surveys for professors at the Air Force Academy who all had to take these same classes and they they found that the professors that had the highest um, sort of feedback from students in these freshman required math classes actually performed lower in the long term. So when they looked at like, let's say the intro class was about calculus, which was then needed for these higher level classes, the students actually performed lower later on. And the teachers that had the lowest student evaluation forms, their their students performed higher further down, like three years down the road. And it's this sense that as a teacher, you're you you have to be confident that what you're doing for the students is in their best interest in the long term, right? Um, and that can be tough because sometimes you know what they need to do in terms of their development as individuals. And that might be values, that might be ethics, or it might be some specific aspects of their learning where you're pushing them really hard, knowing that this is building a foundation that they are going to then be able to springboard off uh, at higher levels of learning, which may be years in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be that can be really challenging. Yeah, yeah and, and that study that you just you know shared um, reminds me of a uh, one of my professors um, from undergrad. He was probably, you know, most notorious for failing students or giving very low grades. So I took a writing course with him and um, first first essay I got, I think it was like a, an F <laughs> and just, just dug a hole for myself. And I just thought like, this is not happening. Like I'm, I'm a terrible writer. And, but then what, ha what then led uh, to me, like, you know, really trying to do better was actually to prove him wrong. I was like, no, I can do this. And so it, were, it forced me to go to his office hours to revise and revise all these different drafts. And, and by the, by the time uh, the semester ended, I, I think I got like a B minus. And that was like, I was so proud of that, that grade. Um, and, you know, I think 
a lot of the things that um, I can point to in terms of like my writing like discipline is like, it comes from that class because of how much like how strict he was. Um, but I also think that there's like that balance, right? Because you want the teacher that is like very understanding and embracing, but you also want the one that's like you said, like it's going to challenge you, it's going to push you to really go beyond, um, especially when it becomes uncomfortable. And, and that's hard. I feel like that's where like the art of teaching really comes into play because each student is is an entire universe, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's the, yeah, that's that's the tough part, right? Because there are some students who in your situation would have just folded when they got that first F and not necessarily used it as a, as a driving force to, to become better as a writer and, and to improve. And that's where, yeah, that, like you said, that's where the art of teaching really can make a difference is when we're able to really foster the development of those character traits that are going to support the specific activity, but ultimately are also going to, you know, evolve in other ways outside. So for you, you know, that that idea of being able to work hard to go from an F to B minus in writing helped you specifically develop your writing skills. But also it, you know, undoubtedly took away the 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 sort of part of it, which is about how do I how do I reflect on where my areas are for improvement are and how do I work hard at anything to to improve over time and recognizing that that it's a it's a journey, really. So I, I think those situations like you describe are really important and applicable across a range of things, not just in academics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that actually kind of segues into what I wanted to to talk a little bit more about, which uh, were the various careers you had before you were teaching. So I think that, you know, within like the, the, you know, the, the major that you were studying, public health, um, with working at restaurants, uh, I think you mentioned like sales and marketing as well. Like, I'm sure that you had um, maybe teacher or like mentor figures in these different jobs, like someone that you could at least refer to and look at and be like, I'm trying to emulate certain things and maybe had experiences where you failed, right? You dropped a dish, right? You got an order wrong or the sales is just very low numbers. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I, I just wanted to hear more about like uh, what you meant when you said that if it wasn't for like those, like, I, how did you phrase it? Like, you wouldn't have been as good a teacher um, if it hadn't been for those those experiences working in different jobs. And so um, if you could maybe like speak to that a little bit more, like what particular skills or experiences kind of come come up that um, you can attribute to you being a, a better teacher. Scott, have you ever worked in a restaurant before? I've worked at a bar, at a Japanese karaoke bar. It was only for it was only for two months, but yeah. You know what that's, that's all you need. You just need you only need two things really. But I, you know, one one of my firm beliefs is that every every person should work in a service industry for at least a short time in their lives, even if it's just for for a summer job. Um, working in the working in restaurants from from a young age, but also like I said, as a as as an adult. It makes you aware of how you act in situations where you're relying on other people or you're interacting with other people. I think it makes you a more gracious person and it makes you 
more sensitive to what could be happening in somebody's life or somebody's job that has nothing to do with you. Um, and so I, at least that's, that's my feeling. Like after working in, in the restaurant industry for, for such a long time, you, you, you learn how to interact with, with strangers and, and what I think is a very healthy way. And I see people who haven't worked in service industries. It doesn't have to be restaurants. It can be bars. It could be in uh, retail, but when you, you're on the, the side of, of, of serving somebody else's needs, I think that causes you to act differently in your interactions with strangers. That's that's been my experience, um, and uh, I I don't know. Would you say that's true? Did you learn any lessons when you were working in the bar? Oh, you're such a good teacher. You're always putting the question back. <laughs> the the guy who's supposed to be doing the interview. No, no, but I I totally agree with you. I think that um, there's something about like being in that like high pressure environment not having control um relying on others like having that cooperation and um i i really love what you said about like being gracious or giving the benefit of the doubt to to others in order to like you know keep things moving moving along um i really felt that way especially like when you start off like you don't know right what the the menu is you know you 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 forget where something is placed, you know, like, oh, I have to make this cocktail. Like, where's the, what are the, like, what do I need for this? And so there's like, there's always these moments where it just becomes so painfully obvious that you just don't know. And I think um, what maybe is different in a school setting is that um, when you are in the role of teacher, there's this assumption that how could you not know, right? You, you have to know. This is education we're talking about. In a restaurant, maybe not so much. I mean, there is a lot at stake, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think you're less likely to beat yourself over the head because of, of for not knowing, aside from like uh, maybe less tips, right? And so then there's the money incentive, um, which, you know, it wasn't a huge thing. I mean, we all shared our tips. It, it was very, you know, we were very amicable about that. Um, but you know, that was a little bit of like my, my experience um, uh, with, you know, being at a bar, it, again, only two months, it was very short. But, you know, when you're saying about like, how it's all about like the service, right, you're serving others, and how invaluable that experience is. I've heard that, you know, teaching as well, uh, can be viewed as like, a service, you know, I mean, you are in service of of the students, as well as the the larger, you know, communities, like the parents and, you know, stakeholders, right, what do you have you, but I mean, clearly, you're articulating, there's like a difference between those two realms, right? I think so. I mean, and yes, you are in service of the students, but there's a, I think there's a power dynamic difference between being a server in a restaurant or a server in a bar than a server in a classroom. Because the power dynamic as a teacher, you have control over this dominion. So yes, you are in service of the students, but you also are in control of how that is going and what's happening. And uh, in a restaurant or in a bar setting, it's really you are in service of somebody else who's who's more in control of of the dynamic of the relationship to an extent. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Um, and, you know, it's been a while since I've deeply thought about the dynamics of being in, uh, you know, the, the service industry specifically with like restaurants and bars. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been said that like 
um, teachers can create their own little like kingdom, right? Like these are the rules that you set, the social agreements. These are, this is the structure of the curriculum, the way that they want to kind of dish it out. And, uh, and they have, you know, they, they can exercise a certain level of authority. Now that's, you know, teachers, I think have to be sensitive to like how much they can use it and like how that power is shared and distributed. Um, Cause you can go in either extreme and then it becomes very ineffective or even harmful. Um, but yeah, I, I see where you're, you're getting at with like that important distinction between the two. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things that I was sort of getting at in my question to you is really like, thinking about, have you ever had a bad experience with somebody who's been really demanding or really acted in a way that you thought was just unacceptable socially? Like you looked at how somebody was treating their server or how somebody was talking to you and you thought, how how is it possible that you've made it to adulthood and that you think it's okay to talk to another human being like this? Yeah. And I feel like that is those experiences working in a service industry or where you you observe those things and you think like oh yeah that's right like there's a way that you can talk to people and and be respectful and be gracious and be understanding um and there's ways that people might not be they might not be intending to come across that but objectively you look at how they're interacting you think that's that's not appropriate. That's not, you're not being a good person in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, I, that, that's one takeaway from the restaurant industry that I think has been super valuable. Uh, but there are, you know, there are lots in terms of, you made reference to it as well, which is about working in that environment. It's dynamic, it's fast paced, much like teaching. You have to work together as a team. And so when you've had, like I've worked for, some absolutely amazing um, managers, some amazing chefs. And when you see somebody who is able to organize, who's able to structure things, who has a vision for how service should look, who has a vision for the quality and and type of food or drinks, when somebody has a, a clarity of vision about what things should look like that makes an impact and you know that's definitely something that i took away from um both the you know the chefs that i worked for in in birmingham and alabama where i grew up and in los angeles um Mm -hmm. they were absolutely phenomenal um at their jobs Mm -hmm. and just as as human beings as well um so those were really valuable pieces of learning and you know in the sales and marketing it was kind of the the flip side of that um in the sense that i found that that working in a kind of nine to five a traditional nine to five job was for me in that sales and marketing role a real drag Mm -hmm. um and that was more about discovery of of things about myself and what i am good at and what i struggle with um less so than than kind of key takeaways that that I could build upon necessarily mm-hmm. but having that experience doing a 9 to 5 job and finding something that I was not particularly good at which was cold calling um and dealing with rejection and I just didn't have that hunger 
to like intrude on people's lives and really, you know, use social psychology to, to make them make a decision and all of those aspects of it, you know, that really just helped me understand what, what are the dynamics in the working world outside of education? So when I'm working with the kids in class, you know, I know what sort of skill sets they need to be able to make it through a situation like that and to reflect on, on what are their own skills? What is their own learning? How do I get through it? In the same way that you did with going from an F to a B minus, like being able to do that in another context, a non-academic context is really important. So mm-hmm. I think that would be kind of a, a, maybe one of the big takeaways from that experience. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing. And um, yeah, there's a lot that that you shared that I'm I'm just really um, I'm reflecting upon it. But you know, all of these reflections that you've you've done in the past that you continue to do, I mean, it just shows how um, you know you were so you you were very much grappling with your immediate situation, uh, regardless of the job that you were you were doing, and that there were there were so many different sources, uh, you know, individuals situations that you were you were learning from and I think um, being able to have you know maybe you didn't have that hunger to like cold call people but you had that hunger to be like how can how can I make sense of of this environment how can I um you know kind of make it through but like in in a way that is like true to how you operate how you engage and interact with people because that's going to be different from 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 myself and from from another person and, um, you know, there's something about like that process of re- reflecting. And when people look at you, like they probably see someone who's very grounded and in the kind of like fast paced world that we live in and everything is like so like instantaneous, um, it's very easy to get swept off your feet from from any situation. And um, to see someone with that, um, you know, wide experience set. Um, and then I, I really like what you said about like, you know, you've met chefs who had like, they were, a, they had a vision, right? They they knew how to like navigate disorder and chaos and, you know, kind of like cut through it because this is what needs to be done. Um, I think that would not have been possible had it not, uh, you know, been for like years of experience, reflections, putting it to words, talking about it, sharing about it, teaching in their own capacities. And, um, and so it's just like, it's really cool that you can articulate that for these very different industries and then see like where you've landed as a teacher that, you know, ultimately just living, you're living a very, um, you know, diverse life with like different life experiences led you to be the grounded teacher that you are today. And I think, um, yeah, people don't give enough credit for that. You know, that's not something that is as valued on CVs as you might think, I feel, you know, like people just kind of want to see it's like one academic situation, like setting to the next, to the next, to the next. And they're like, yeah, this guy must be a phenom- phenomenal educator. And perhaps he is or she is. But but in your case, I mean, um, it's, 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 it's hard for some people just kind of looking at public health to restaurants to to sales being like, yeah. And then the natural progression is biology teacher. Yeah, of course. That was my next guess. Right? <laughs> the, the, yeah, I mean, again, thinking back to sort of my professional progression, getting jobs at in the early part of my teaching career was impossible. I I I got no 
you know, if I, if I submitted my application um, just through the normal process, I would not get jobs at schools that I wanted to teach at. The only way I got my jobs early was from getting my foot in the door with somebody else. Um, so both the school in Egypt and the school in, in Beijing, I got my foot in the door through coaching and through doing substitute teaching or doing support and, you know, and then proving sort of in practice what type of person I was and what type of educator I was. Um, but you're right. Like the, the things on my CV, even, you know, my educational philosophy, I think was probably sound and um, it was probably better than a lot of the other applicants who had more experience, but nobody was reading it because my CV didn't look, didn't have the, you know, the traditional progression, I guess. So yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's tough, but it has its benefits. Yeah. And, and look where you are. I mean, it's been uh, five, six years that you've been now teaching uh, at the school in Singapore, right? Right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's clear that, you know, you really enjoy um, being in this, this environment um, with, you know, students, people from all different parts of the world. And um, I feel like there's, uh, there's definitely something about that, that culture that draws you in. Um, maybe perhaps it's from like your, your early travels around South America or the, the, the experiences of like meeting different peoples, trying different new things. Um, but, you know, if you, if you can maybe like link um, the, the current work that you're doing right now um, at, in this international um, kind of culture environment um, with the, the idea of global citizenship, I mean, how, how do they kind of, you know, play off of, off of each other? Um, what ha what have you seen that the the school environment um, that's saying it's international um, is like explicitly making these students more of a global citizen? Yeah, so I mean, global citizenship is a term that I think I sort of understand it intuitively, but it's not necessarily a term that I've utilized regularly. Um, in in sort of my discourse amongst educators or with the students but you're right i think it's kind of baked into being in an international school setting a lot of the qualities of global citizenship this idea of acting for the sort of yeah i mean i would say acting for the common good not common in the sort of like socialist sense but common in terms of the good of humanity and being aware of our place, not just in a single culture, but in a global community. I think that is something that tends to be baked into the, to the culture of most international schools, certainly all the ones that I've worked at. Um, but it's, it's interesting because there is this sort of like dichotomy where we're teaching, we're teaching curricular content that is very much through a single lens, this like Western, um, centric uh lens of learning i mean you teach the ib it's probably a little bit less so with global politics but i think there is the sense that we're teaching a, a very uh diverse group of students but but through a particular lens um but a lot of what we talk about in terms of our values particularly at the school that i'm at now it is you know we're a mission-based school so it's united world college is where i work now 
Um, and our mission as an organization is that uh, education is a force to promote peace and sustainability, basically. And so that's at kind of the heart of what we do as, as an institution. And the academic part of that is just one component. You know, we have, we definitely have a holistic view on the development of young people from, in our case, four-year-old kindergarten all the way up through high school in terms of what values are they developing for recognizing their place in in the world. And I, and I think that involves looking at individual and societal values, at ethics, um, and all of those things play a role in helping them understand who they are. And, you know, that's, I think that now that we're, we're sort of talking through, I think that's one thing that I feel is important in global citizenship is individual identity is an important part. You need to, I think you need to know yourself and you use that term grounded. I think you need to have some grounding in your own beliefs and your own values um, in order to be, I guess, ready to fully embrace global citizenship. Um, because then you're in a place where you can really be open and listen to what other people say. You can really be open and observe what other people are doing. Uh, and I, I feel like that's a, that's a really valuable part of being a global citizen is listening and observing and being able to reflect on how that, how that fits with your own beliefs and being able to allow somebody else to push up against your beliefs and your background without feeling defensive. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for, for articulating that. I know, like, like you said, being in an international school, it's just, it's the air you breathe, right? It's all around you, right? That's the, that ethos that uh, in some ways um, doesn't need to be like spoken out loud, right? It's, it's just kind of acted upon and like it's, it's modeled off of. Um, but I do think that, you know, one thing that really um, resonates with me that you shared, one of the many things, of course, um, is this idea of like, yeah, really knowing yourself. Uh, and I, I would imagine that to be challenging when you're in an environment where there are students from such different places. I don't know how many, like if, if there's like a number of like how many different like nationalities we're talking about at your school, but maybe... Hey. It's, yeah, it's a lot. I actually don't know what the current number is, but I mean, just to give you an example in one of my IB biology classes, um, you know, occasionally I'll do these, these like translanguaging little activities just to, just to kind of mix up how we're learning. And, uh, you know, in a class of 15 students, there will often be like 10 to 12 different languages that they that they can use in a in a very specific context, like they can translate material and from biology into you know ten to twelve different languages, which is, I mean that that gives you a little bit of an idea of of like how how much diversity there is. Yeah, and so when you when you are surrounded by that kind of diversity, there's always going to be um, a certain tendency, let's say, to to, to compare or to kind of size up like how grounded is that person compared to to myself 
Um, and like, what kind of value do I place on different aspects of my identity? And, um, and also, you know, you, you teach high school level, right, for the, the IB. So like, it's like at that age where they're most, you know, sensitive about like, what does identity mean for me? And I think, um, you know, while they're engaged in that process, um, it's, it's vital for them to like, yes, kind of root themselves in their own culture but at the same time, like not lose sight of the the wider, you know, stage that's before them, like the global stage, uh, and to be curious about those who are different around them. Um, I really like, um, you know, this this um, you you talked about being able to listen, right, to to others, right, to not feel like defensive if if you are challenged, but like to really listen deeply to what um, is kind of being shared. I think that's an important skill for a global citizen um, to kind of be open to those differences and to like have them um, become a source of, of strength by like celebrating that diversity um, through the friendships that that inevitably come up when you're in a class of 15, right? But I think you also need to be able to sort of breathe through the discomfort as well. So I I don't know about you've you've traveled extensively. You've lived abroad, so you probably have experienced this in some way. But I remember before I left the U.S., <clears throat> I remember having this belief that everywhere we go, people are really fundamentally just the same. Like we're all we're all the same, and that was really sort of my worldview. Is like we're all you know wherever you are, everybody is fundamentally the same. But I remember realizing at a certain point after I'd been living abroad for a couple of years that I, I don't think that's actually true. I, I think that there are fundamental differences in cultures that um, that make us not the same in terms of how we look at certain things. A very, a very basic example of this would be something like uh, in in Egypt, there is the culture of lining up or queuing is very different than it is from how we do things in, in the US. Like, you, you know, there's there's this idea that you line up and whoever's first goes first and you fall in behind. But in some cultures, that's just not, that's not part of the norm, right? And so you can find yourself as an outsider feeling very frustrated when you get in line and, um, and somebody just cuts in front of you, right? But, the I think the aspect of global citizenship is being able to recognize that and be okay with that discomfort and think like, okay, how am I going to react to the situation? Am I going to try to impose my viewpoint on this situation? Or am I going to try to fit in with what's going on here? Or am I just going to just simmer in, um, in, in, in sort of, anger and frustration at what I see as being totally different. And when you live abroad, you see all of those different versions, right? You see the the sort of expat with the 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 way that that they grew up doing things and just casting uh, judgment on how everything is different in whatever culture that they're currently living in and wanting things to be just like it was where they came from. And then you see other people who are able to roll with it a little bit and don't take on that burden and are able to recognize, 
there are differences. There are these minor differences in how we approach situations or how we view things or what's appropriate in conversation. Um, and just being able to, again, like breathe through that discomfort. Like, for example, in China, it's, you know, it's culturally acceptable for people just to say, like, Scott, you look really fat today. And, and, you know, it's not meant in an insulting way, whereas like in some cultures that would not be acceptable. And so, yeah, I think that discomfort can be, can be difficult. Um, the, the other thing I, I don't want to just keep babbling on, but the other thing I was thinking about when you were, you were talking about that international setting and that idea of grounding being difficult, you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. The, one of the things that we see from students in an international setting is this idea of like the third culture kid. Have you ever heard that terminology before? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's something that obviously students in an international setting can, can sometimes struggle with that idea of like, where do I belong culturally? Where do I belong geographically? Where do I belong politically? Where do I identify with? And that can be tough. Yeah, because I mean, perhaps that's not the first time that they've moved internationally with their family, just constantly being uprooted, just being in new environments and just having to recreate friend networks as well. I mean, that's all very difficult for, for young people. Um, and then, you know, when you were sharing about those different experiences, like being um, like in China, for example, and like, or Egypt, um, some of the, like the, the, the difficulties that come up with like confronting difference when it's right there. Um, I just want to share like in Brazil, there was this one thing that would always piss me off, which was um, kind of like conversation etiquette that, um, and there's always like a give and take, you know, I speak, I say my part, I and then I let you speak and I don't interrupt you. In Brazil, no, they'll just interrupt you straight up and it becomes just like a kind of talking over the other person. And um, and it can seem like a little bit of chaos if you're not used to it. And so um, what ultimately led to it was like, I would just never speak because I would be waiting for my turn, which would never come because <laughs> everyone's just interrupting each other. Yeah. Um, but, you know, through that discomfort, I had to learn how to like assert myself if I really wanted to say something. And to also not take offense, because again, they didn't mean any anything by it. Actually, I was the outsider that was trying to fit in with them. And so like, why should I impose my views as an American in a predominantly Brazilian, you know, like school? So um, I really resonate with that. But I think, you know, our role as a teacher is to like, um, be patient with our students and to give them gentle nudges, and reminders so that they can, um, you know, so that that can spark their own awareness and for them to kind of um, feel like they can engage in that reflection whenever they need to um, and to ultimately like find a, a path forward, right? But I think, you know, in terms of seeing ourselves as global citizenship educators, I think it's also important that we are creating opportunities for the students to experience that right? I, I think those experiences are really valuable in giving students a chance to understand what do my beliefs look like in the context of challenge, or what do my cultural norms look like in a context where somebody has different beliefs or different uh, viewpoints. 
And how do we reconcile that in the same way that you're talking about your experience in Brazil? Like, how do we reconcile that? How do I make myself heard in a conversation that I don't know how to get into, right? And so I think there is a role for us if we put global citizenship at the center of what we try to do, whether through global politics or through biology, we need to create opportunities for our students to exercise those muscles and to understand their identity in context. Yes, understanding their identity in context. I love that. Um, and there's so much behind that. Um, and I, I feel like, I, you know, Justin, we can have this conversation for e easily like another two, three hours, but we are coming up on time. Uh, it's been such a joy. Uh, and, you know, I feel like I've gained so many new insights from this conversation with you. And I very much want to have global citizenship be at, at the core of how I approach uh, my teaching and how I just approach life in general, to be honest, because I feel like teaching, living, it's all interconnected for me at this point, because I've also reached that juncture where I feel like it's all around me. Um, and I want to, um, you know, leverage that in the most positive way um, and to derive joy from that. So, um, so, you know, there's, there's one last question that I like to ask my, my, my guests and you could, if you could answer, you know, really short, um, because I, I know that we have to cut, cut off soon. Um, you mean because I've been babbling a lot. No, you've been doing it. Yeah, I've been loving it. It's been great. Um, I wouldn't want it any other way. So, um, no, no editing on this side of it, but, um, but, you know, I, I like to ask my guests if they have any like film or book recommendations, something that they've maybe uh, read or watched recently or something that they, they go back to quite frequently. Um, but what would you say in the context of our conversation you would recommend to our listeners? Mm. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a tough question. I mean, as a parent of two young children, I, I, it's been a while since I've watched a film all the way through from start to finish, sadly. Um, in terms of book recommendations, uh, I would say I have two. Uh, one is called Lab Girl by Hope Jaron. And it's maybe not a typical global citizenship book. It's not necessarily about global citizenship in and of itself. But I think it, you know, it's sort of a memoir about uh, this, this uh, woman who's a, um, who's a biologist. Oh, wait, you told me to be short. Anyway, I, I will say it is about somebody discovering their own identity. And through that process, um, also discovering a way to navigate and deal with the world. And I think a lot of values related to global citizenship come through in that book. So that would be one. And then the other one I think is, yes. So it's called Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Samard. Um, I think this is more a book that's maybe a metaphorical sense for what global citizenship is about. Because again, it's also about a woman discovering her identity. It's also about a scientist, but it's about recognizing the uh, the forest as, a, as, an, as this, like multifaceted um, place where you have lots of different organisms interacting. And it's about changing the way that we view something that we thought we knew. Um, and I think that really has parallels in terms of how we operate as, as human beings on the planet. 
and recognizing our place in it as part of this network rather than as simple individuals. Um, and the book is just a beautiful story of that process of discovery of how important relationships are and how difficult it can be to get other people to recognize that. That was beautiful. Thank you for both uh, recommendations. And you, you just described both of them so, so wonderfully. Um, I'm very, very interested to, to look into both of those books. So thank you so much, Judson, for, for your time and just sharing your, your story. And, um, you know, in like, a few words, like if you, if you have any like last thoughts, um, I'd love to, to end with uh, your, your final reflections. Um, my final reflections, Scott, thank you for, uh, for guiding us on this journey. I would not have maybe had the opportunity to reflect on the role that global citizenship plays in my life and my work um, if, if it weren't for you. And, you know, I listened to uh, a few episodes of the podcast in preparation for, for this. And, and I really, I really value what you are doing through these conversations and just want to express my gratitude for, for what you're doing, because it's making me think and it's making me reflect on uh, what I do and who I am. And ultimately, I think that's, uh, that's a real positive benefit to, to me and, and to the students that I work with. So thank you. Thank you so much, Judson, for being on the podcast. I really, really enjoyed listening to your experiences, how varied and diverse they were in different industries, and then how they informed you as a person and more specifically as a teacher to really ground you in your own identity as you navigated all of these dif differences in cultures uh, with the, the work that you've been doing in international education and as a biology teacher as well. I think that these intersections between um, the, the work that you do as a teacher and the experiences that you've accrued are so important to um, articulate what global citizenship means for you. And I found it very inspiring. So once again, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights on global citizenship. And I hope to have you on the podcast again in the near future.